welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. Welcome, Life Group Leaders, to another episode where we are going to work to encourage and edify you and equip you to lead well this week in your study of the Gospel of Matthew and in your time with your Life Group as you work together to apply the Word of God to your life. And as we do that, we recognize our mission here at Compass Bible Church is to reach people for Christ, teach people to be like Christ, and train people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast and your life groups and the preaching of God's Word, all those things are to make sure that we fulfill this mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We are continuing in our series, Jesus is Greater. And this sermon, it was entitled, Bearing the Weight of Our Sin. And uh, I love the name of this sermon because it focuses clearly on the point of the entire section of Scripture here. And with that being said, let me read Matthew eight fourteen through 17 for you. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. The main point of the sermon was this, that Jesus' miraculous healings should serve as a poignant reminder of God's promise to permanently deliver us through Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. And this came to us in three points. Point number one, we need to rejoice in the efficacious work of Christ. Verses 14 and 15 is where this derives itself from. That when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law laying sick with a fever. And Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began serving him. I mean, when you think about the efficacious work of Christ, at least in a microcosm, in this scene that you have here, what was the best thing that could have happened, the best outcome for Peter's mother-in-law. And you actually read it. The best outcome was her fever left her. She immediately rose, and she was going on as life as usual, serving the Lord Jesus. And so I think that point number one helps us understand just how effective the work of Christ is. And as we then interpret that in its uh, broader redemptive uh, scope, that we recognize that the work of Christ is effective for us as Christians, and it does what it's intended to do. Point number two is trust in the far-reaching power of Christ's atonement. You know, when you look at verse 16 and uh, you move away from the individual to the group, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This is meant by Matthew for you and I to broaden, to zoom out and recognize that this wasn't just one or two situations. This was a far-reaching effect of Christ, a power and ability to fulfill his purposes. And again, in that larger scope of redemptive history, it shows us that the far-reaching power of Christ's atonement, which is what these uh, healings were meant to help us see, was the proof that Christ's atonement could reach into the Gentile nations. It could extend to all of the world, you know, as, as the geographical place. There was no geographical place outside the reach of the atonement of Christ once it was finished on the cross. And then point number three, that we need to focus on the eternal redemptive purpose of Christ's miracles. I think there's so many implications of this and applications in our own lives. 
but I think it's just important for us to rest on that point and to say the point of the scriptural miracles that we see were to help us understand the redemptive purpose of Christ's life and his ministry and ultimately his death and resurrection. It was all to point to the redemptive nature of the person and work of Christ in our life and his authority over sin and death and eternal life. And for us, as we read these scriptures, it would just be a, such a disservice for us to read this text and come to any conclusion except for the re- eternal redemptive purpose of Christ's miracles because it was to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And so with that being said, that's a good foundation as we jump into this. And uh, there's a couple of good questions, uh, at least one one that you may get in your life group is, you know, why is it that Isaiah doesn't exactly quote, or Matthew doesn't exactly quote Isaiah word for word? And, and that's a really, really good question. I mean, it may be one you get. I mean, if, if you have people... You know, studying. I already had a couple of people ask that today. You know, it seems like Matthew didn't quote exactly what uh, what we see there in our Old Testament text in in Isaiah fifty three verse four. And uh, you know, I, I don't have a definitive answer for that, but I, I do have a couple of uh, of thoughts as we, we read this, and as I've read even in my own commentaries and done some study on this, uh, Matthew, as he quotes this, it, you know, even one commentary says this that. Interestingly enough, Matthew is closer to the the, the Masoretic texts in uh, verse version of this, and the Masoretic text says that he took up our illnesses and bore our sorrow. So it's kind of like a halfling, right? You, you see in the Masoretic text, which is uh, the old ancient form of, of the Hebrew text that was not before it was translated into uh, translated into the Greek. I think even. Or earlier than that, and I don't have. I, I wish I knew more about the Masoretic text, uh, but the LXX, which is the, the the Bible of the day of the disciples in Jesus, it says that He bears our sins and suffers pain for us, or even as as we see it in, in our text, that uh, He bears our sorrows and our griefs in Isaiah, and then Matthew says our illnesses and our disease. And so, yeah, th- it is a little bit different. Although I, I wouldn't think that it, I wouldn't think that it changed the meaning. Particularly when something interesting that I learned in my study uh, was that Matthew, as he's quoting this, he, you know, and I said I think at the nine, not the eleven. Matthew quotes this verse, and he does this often. He's quoting an Old Testament prophecy. But he wants to make sure that you understand the whole context. So he's not trying to take a verse out of context. He's making sure to, for you to say, hey, you need to read this in context. And I think what's important is the wider context of this verse draws the right implication and the right conclusion, which is this, that ultimately Jesus didn't come to just bear our illnesses and our disease he came to bear our sin, which is what I love about what Matthew does when he's using Ma- uh, Isaiah 53, 4. It may start in verse 4 saying, hey, this is part of the messianic fulfillment that this will happen. But it moves quickly to the the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of the suffering servant. And so I think it would be helpful to think about it that way is, you know, Matthew is making sure that we read this in its broader context. And so what it does is he's using Isaiah 53, 4. 
to tie together, hey, he is going to do these things. Like he's going to bear our illnesses and he's going to bear our griefs and our sorrow. But ultimately, that finds its fulfillment in Christ's atonement on the cross on our behalf. Not that he took, uh, not that he just simply healed people, because that is a big part of the ministry of Christ, but it was all to fulfill uh, what was said about the Messiah to come. And so I think if you focus on it that way, life group leaders, it's going to be helpful for you to, uh, if anybody has any questions about that, at least be able to sit right there. We don't, I'm not expecting you guys to uh, be the scholars to that depth to be able to uh, decipher between the Masoretic text and the Septuagint and, you know, uh, any kind of those, any kind of various translations or uh, about that. But I, that's the best way that I can help you think about it is just that Matthew knew exactly what he was doing because verse 53 or chapter 53 centers on the suffering of the servant who was pierced for our transgression and who's crushed for our iniquities. And Matthew is showing how Jesus is able to take upon himself that which we have, the, the problem which we have. And and he exactly points to the whole rationale of this whole thing when he says, and this is why he came, to be our substitute, which is the whole context of Isaiah 53. I hope that helps, you know, you know, uh, yeah, I hope that helps with the, the amount of knowledge that I have that I can help you there, at least things I'm sure about. I can make a lot of other speculations, but I, I try not to do that too much because I don't think it's helpful. Uh, but as far as that goes, I think it's one of the big, that's probably one of the bigger exegetical questions you're going to deal with here. Other than that, I think it's just application, application, application. Uh, some of this, right, efficacy, perseverance, uh, atonement, redemptive. You know, I would encourage you, particularly if people say things like, well, I just, these are big words, I don't understand them. Encourage your group, look them up, you know, Google them, uh, look up a dictionary. We all have dictionaries in our pockets. It's, it's important to understand these words and, and the way that they're used because it more clearly more clearly defines uh, what we're trying to say here and what Matthew's trying to say here. I mean, for instance, point number one, rejoice in the efficacious work of Christ. Okay, well, we have to start looking at the definition of efficacious because we start getting, uh, we we get a really clear clear view, right? Uh, An effective operation is measured by comparison of product with cost or energy. I mean, that's, uh, that's the Webster's Dictionary there. Uh, I mean, here's the first one there. I guess I should have read that one first. The quality or degree of being efficient. Uh, Let's see. The ratio of the useful energy delivered by dynamic systems to the energy supplied to it. I mean, what what I want you to see is there's a comprehensiveness here. There's a... uh, The power to produce an effect is is another way way to say it here. Uh, The power to produce a desired outcome. I mean, even that right there. Versus me saying something. Point number one on your outline, rejoice in the effective work of Christ. It's like, okay, but in, in what way does that differ from a lot of ways that we're effective? I mean, are you an effective uh, sports player? Are you an effective mathematician? Are you an effective? Of course we are. And so it's important to use words that you see in church history and, and that you see in conversations throughout the centuries about how we explain the work of Christ in a way we're our people can now engage with history in the way that we talk about the work of Christ being efficacious. It's it's a really uh, important term. And I I use it because I think it's important for our people to know it and to think about it. And uh, I just think it's a really wonderful way to explain that, that point. 
point number two is the same way. Atonement, just help him understand atonement means that he paid the price. He made it right. He rectified it. Uh, and, and redemptive, hopefully they understand redemptive is rescue, right? That salvation. Uh, but yeah, help help them understand what those words mean. Uh, and, and maybe even give them that a little bit of spiel of what I said to you. Hey, you know, these are terms that we see throughout church history. That's important for us to understand them. And I think for us to understand a lot of the literature that, that has come out of the last, you know, 1,500, 1,800 years, it just would be worth a little bit of extra time for us to look up these words because you're going to see them when you start studying uh, commentaries, when you start studying church history, uh, the Reformation, all those things, you're going to find, you're going to run into these words pretty quick. And so I just think it's helpful for our people. However, ultimately what we want to do here, like what we always want to do, is make sure we're getting to the application of these questions. And so make sure it's not just the, you know, why do we do this, but what are we doing and how are we doing it? I really want to encourage you guys to make sure you dive into that. Uh, I don't think any of these are going to be too uh, too difficult for your people to uh, to understand and to think through, which I think is helpful when these questions are easy enough to understand. Uh, yeah, I think that's... And th- then your Bible study question of the week, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and Genesis 50, 19 through 21, says Paul states that his imprisonment, as terrible as it was, was good for the gospel. In Genesis 50, Joseph said that God used his brother's evil deeds for good. How does Paul's and Joseph's understanding of God's sovereignty help you understand how God uses evil for his good purpose? How does this understanding help you trust that God is working out his good plan no matter your circumstance? And how can we faithfully and tactfully encourage one another with the truth of God's sovereignty while experiencing suffering? I mean, this is the doctrinal concept of theodicy, right? How do we understand God in light of all the pain and suffering in the world? And so I hope that your group, uh, at least you encourage these men and women in your group to take time and spend answering this question as they study the Word of God this week. All right, Life Group Leaders, as always, I want to remind you, at least over the last couple of weeks, that you would download Logos. I know you guys have talked to me about it. Many of you have, so I know you guys are getting to it. Download Logos. I'd love to do a training to help us give us some, some good resources that I know are available to you uh, via the free download and even some of us who have basic packages or so on that I could love to help you guys utilize some good resources to help you dig deeper into questions like we were just talking about. Like, why is it that Isaiah uh, is a little bit different in its quotation than Matthew's quotation of Isaiah? Or how can I go into understanding theodicy and the suffering of God or the perseverance that we ought to have as Christians? Or, you know, what does it mean uh, to think about the word efficacious or atonement? I want to help you guys understand how to do things like that through Logos so you can be a much more helpful resource to your own life group. Now, with that being said, I want to go turn to announcements now. As you heard, even uh, on service on Sunday, that D-Now is coming up really, really soon. And so it's time for uh, you, if you haven't already, make sure you sign up your kiddos and announce to your groups to make sure they sign up their kids for D-Now coming up in the middle of February. Men's Bible Study is coming up next Saturday. And so at 9 o'clock, we'll meet all the men here, and we're going to continue studying through Philippians. Our Next Steps project is something I'm really excited about. I have a big, wonderful, just blessing of an announcement to uh, share next Sunday of something God has uh, has clearly placed in front of us. So be praying for this week as i got some final conversations that I need to make and have. And Lord willing, I'll be able to announce to our church 
a wonderful uh, next step in this whole project as we're moving forward. So be praying for that, the Next Steps Project. If you haven't given to it, I'd encourage you, please, particularly as life group leaders, consider what it would be like for you to be giving to this. Uh, I know that me and my wife did the same thing, and we had to consider, hey, how are we going to give to this? How are we going to pray for this? And uh, I think as leaders and deacons in our church, it's important for you to be thinking about that as well if you haven't already. But with that being said, guys, I'm praying for you this week. I do look forward to your time with your life group. I always love to hear uh, testimonies of, uh, of really how your life groups are working uh, and, and being a blessing uh, to one another. So with that being said, I'll look forward to seeing you guys next week.